generally not impressed by humans or animals horses goats chickens it's all fun and games could you chill any harder than you're chilling right now every day i chill harder than the day before there's too much jew hate going on and i think it's a huge misunderstanding that we could bring some clarity to now in this conversation try to see where this is going to go welcome back to buckle up baby episode 44 (laughs) hit it mikey we have a special guest today. Yes, we do. Uh, we're excited. The way this worked out was pretty miraculous. It felt at least. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about the Kanye stuff. Um, Harry was someone I wanted to talk to initially, and then he happened to be in Brooklyn mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. in the city this week. And uh, so here he is. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Sitting Rabbi Rabbi Harry, Harry, a.k.a. Harry Rosenberg, here in the Buckle Up Podcast studio. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Love being here. Great feng shui in your studio. Cool. That means a lot. (laughs) I've been working hard at that. True. (laughs) Just painted this wall. It matches perfectly. This whole studio... Is per- matches you perfectly. Yeah, you are actually like the color palette of the studio right now. <laughs> <laughs> means a lot to me. You are the embodiment, the blues, the oranges, um, amazing. And uh, is this, uh, have we only had rabbis on? Have we had a single person who? Yes. Who? Who hasn't been a rabbi? Yeah. Neil Goldman. Neil Goldman. David Swirsky. Yeah, Jeremy right. Parker. Okay, fair enough. I mean, but you are a rabbi. You're our second, <laughs> you are our second rabbi, and I think a very different kind, and I want to explore that a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to start actually with. Um, I was going to give a little like background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, My yeah. question too. Exactly. We're Go very well it. coordinated here, Rabbi yeah. Harry. You guys See have this? a whole little system. I yeah, love yeah, it. yeah. Just yeah. eyes and movements and feng shui. <laughs> no, but yeah, I did have a question just about Harry and his background. I've known you many, many years. Actually, we go way back to sleepaway camp. Unbelievable. But since then, you've been up to lots of things. So, can you just like? Bring me up to speed. Michael knows a little bit about what you've been up to, but bring me and the folks watching up to speed about what you do and what you've been up to over the years in terms of your recent projects and endeavors. I appreciate that. Um, It's hard to put it in a nutshell, so I guess part of tonight was just pulling it all out. Mm. But I felt that uh, we were at a point of human history that was significant and important. And I had a strong desire to look into the writings of my ancestors to see just like what they said, what was going on, what King David say, what King Solomon say. Because, you know, this was in the middle of being in Manhattan, growing up in New York City, and just seeing all the emptiness in people's lives, that there was nothing really going on, a lot of depression, a lot of like falsehood, a lot of just like people hanging out, don't even know what to talk about anymore because it's just nothing real. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what's real? Like what's going on? And then it opened up a can of worms for me that we're going to discuss tonight, which led to continuing the work of some of my ancestors a few hundred years ago in regards to the fact that I found out there was 100 million people around the world that are self-identifying as being from my people. Mm -hmm. And then learning that that's a real narrative and a real historical reality and something that's relevant to world peace. Mm -hmm. And so I got very interested in that topic of, quote unquote, the lost tribes of Israel, just so we could figure out how to get to world peace and settle settle the whole mess and uh so that's really what i put my time and energy into on the side um you know social entrepreneur i started a few businesses which did well and it allowed me to put a lot of my time into this type of research and then i'm also just into plants that heal humans because there's a lot of people who are dying from drugs and killing themselves and miserable and there are plants out there that do help people in that regard and so I just think it's very logical to study and promote that. And as a rabbi, I felt that a moral obligation towards my community 
to advise on matters that could help them heal. Mm. So basically, in a but you're nutshell, making a living. That's not what's important. Thing. <laughs> I try to get my wife whatever in the world she needs and wants that she should have to be comfortable. That's fascinating. So that's the most important thing. For when did you become Harry to Rabbi Harry? Just in the timeline of things. This happened um, in a closet in <laughs> uh, my friend's apartment in the meatpacking industry in uh, Manhattan, circa mm. college years. Everyone's at NYU. And I guess just I was at a party and party too hard. <laughs> I've heard about that. Yeah, man. it's a story. It's a real story. Um, and that's when I had this moment where I was like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I can't live this life anymore. And I'm dropping everything I'm doing, stopping to talk to all the girls I was talking to. I picked up and I went to Yeshiva in Jerusalem and mm-hmm. I spent many years studying Torah. And it was just one fine moment that just transitioned the whole thing. Yeah. That that closet, like some people went mad and some people found a path, right? It was like a yeah. It was like a it was like space. similar to the, the word story, closet yeah. is a loaded word. Um, literally a closet. You were literally I in came a closet. out of that closet, a different guy. <laughs> you came out of the closet, not not uh, straight to gay, but uh, civilian to rabbi. Uh, yes, <laughs> um, for sure. Interesting. No, but also, but that wasn't your identity before. You weren't. You weren't like uh, out as someone who cared about this stuff. I'd never gonna... kept a Shabbat in my life leading up to that moment. Um, wasn't yeah. eating kosher. Mm-hmm. Did not. Right. Even though you were raised in the modern Orthodox world. So my family's actually what's called the Balchuva family. Mm-hmm. So I grew up going to public school, actually, which mm-hmm. leads to me now being able to see myself in other races and other mm-hmm. people because I grew up with uh, African-American friends, Chinese friends, Indian friends. We just we were humans. It wasn't mm-hmm. there was no lines between us. And then my family became religious when I was around 12, 13 years old. And so they switched me to Jewish yeshiva school. Um, mm-hmm. So even though they just switched for high school, basically like bar mitzvah years and up and mm-hmm. Um, a little bit before, and basically, uh, I went through the motions. You know, I went, but I didn't. I don't know what anyone was talking about. I was. I used to just play handball with my friends and have a good time. So I was just looking to have a good time. I never knew that. Yeah. So it was. It was around bar mitzvah age when you your family became religious. So you went from public school upbringing into just thrown into the super insular yeah. modern Orthodox community of Long Island. Yeah, I can tell you the first thing I noticed, like on the bus ride on the way to school. Yeah. Uh, was, you know, that someone used the term Shomer Nagia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shomer Nagia means that boys and girls don't touch each other. Mm-hmm. And when I was in like second grade and first grade, you know, kids were going to third base, not mm-hmm. me, because I was like not that good at that, like flirting yeah. at My third kids grade. Are in second and third grade. What on earth? <laughs> in public school, that was a reality. You're playing Spin the Bottle, Seven Minutes in Heaven. You're playing yeah. these like games at birthday parties. Do you mean kids. seventh and eighth grade or se- second grade? First, second grade. This is what is this is what I was exposed possible? to. Um, physically, that's physically possible. I'm just letting you know that this yeah. was uh, the reality. This is okay. what kids were passing notes about in class yes. to each other, the boys and the girls. And so when I got to yeshiva, <laughs> I realized the absolute purity of the people I was around mm-hmm. were so pure. I just kept my mouth shut. I really just zipped it, and I was like, "I mean, like not... innocent." They were innocent. They were so innocent. All these kids in my grade were so innocent, and I just really respected that. And I didn't want to mess with that, and I just really kept my memories to myself. And I just went for the ride. It was probably middle school, uh, public school, where that stuff was going. Not first and second grade. Let's no fact. First fact. and second. All right. Grade. Well, we got to call your public yeah. school. <laughs> this is well. This is the new topic of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's get into. I don't this. know because um, uh, this. Yeah, that's just what. But was you happening. noticed the shelteredness of the yeah. kids around you and the lack of exposure to things. right away. And yeah. then so even like people complain about yeshiva tuition, so expensive. Mm-hmm. Are they even getting a good education? 
I'm like, it's even worth it just to be in a protected environment where kids can grow up in that level of purity mm-hmm. and be exposed to these things when they're teenagers. Mm. Yeah. Which is not even the best, but better than second grade. So you never thought of yourself as an Orthodox Jew? You, you, even if you were, you weren't like internalizing yeah. that like sort of identity? Did not have that as part of my identity, but um, I respect, you know, I went to synagogue with my father and I went through the motions, yeah. but meant nothing to me but coming from public school people were like this kid's cool yeah on the bus on the first day kids were like did you have to like do you have a knife on you or you i was like i was like wow like i'm I'm like a tough guy now you know and it felt kind of good you had a uh, weapon on you the first time i met you i did yeah you were carrying around like a crystal from a chandelier okay and you're like you're like you looked at me like this could be used as a weapon See, right, um, nice to meet you. I guess it is in my memory. <laughs> but pub- public school kids, I knew, like growing up in the in in like private yeshiva day school, they have this like allure of like whoa, like what do yeah. they know? So yeah. you're right. I like we that. have the same reverse perception. Yeah, yeah. 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 I married right. a public school girl. Very uh, proud of that. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so uh, you, yeah. so then you went to yeshiva. Um, after the closet. Yes, <laughs> and we and that was what? Well, what year was that? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Okay, and then you, and then sometime between two thousand six and now, you've pretty much become. Is it fair to say you're the foremost? You're you're one of the leading scholars on the Lost Tribes. Yeah, I think there's a lot much smarter people than me out there, but. I think that the fact that I've combined a lot of my ancestors' writings with what's going on, mm-hmm. with my you know millennial mindset, that I've produced a way new you know uh, lens to look through this right. and how to see the picture. Right. So there's scholars out there who could talk about you know the dress of the Abu Daya tribe here and what they're wearing and how it's symbolic and all the details, but I took a step out and I saw a much bigger picture going on uh-huh. that I think I introduced to the world and I. I think it's really from my ancestors. My my grandparents were speaking about mm. stuff like this, but yeah. You keep talking about your, your ancestors. So can you elaborate on what you mean by the work of your ancestors? Right. So I come from one of the greatest rabbis of the 2,000-year Jewish exile. His name is the Vilna Gon, Rabbi mm-hmm. Eliyahu Kramer. And his students uh, wrote a letter to find these lost tribes of Israel. You know, hundreds of years ago, they were looking for them. Right, because originally there are 12 tribes of Israel. Twelve. Let's get a little context. Twelve tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a unified kingdom. Then there became a civil war, basically. They weren't really fighting with each other. They just cut off ties. And the northern (laughs) kingdom was ten tribes. And the southern kingdom was Judea, two tribes. And so we're the descendants, us Jews, from the Judean kingdom, the southern kingdom. Jew comes from Judah. This is right after King Solomon, right? The King's yes, the Civil shortly War. shortly after King His Solomon. Children. Yeah, because the taxes for the temple were too high for the north, so they seceded. Republicans. But, but a, big, a big, in terms of terminology, something I picked up from you was um, back then everyone was Israelites. Yeah, so it was Jews the house of Israel. Were specifically from a specific tribe called Judea. Well, the uh, word Jew didn't come into like reality yet. Right. Um, but we were the Israelite nation. Yes, made up. Of- so it's so. Let's just for for the for the general population that knows general history about this. You have the Egyptians. You have the Jew. That you have the Israelites. Okay? Israelites as slaves. They come out of Egypt, become a nation, independent, and then fast forward, establish a nation state of 
of Israel, right? Uh, uh, would, would it be called? Would it be safe to say the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth, what a, a the kingdom. kingdom, the kingdom of Israel yeah. under King David? People know King David. People know King Solomon, and then everyone just starts to it starts to just get lost into the pages of history. Correct. So now we are at the civil war period in which the children, the descendants of King Solomon, began to bicker. Yes, the taxes for the temple were too high for the north, so they seceded, made their own temple. Mm-hmm. And they went into exile. The Assyrian army came mm-hmm. um, and exiled, the, which the Syrian army, Assyrian army was known to do. Mm-hmm. It was more uh, cost-effective than just going to war. Uh, they exiled the northern ten tribes towards the far east, and many of them ran into the north, and some hit the sea on ships. And the Judeans stayed in the first temple period still of King Solomon in Judea for another uh, you know, period of time afterwards mm-hmm. just by themselves. Which is where the the Jew started to become a reality. And this is that was two all tribes? that was left. Sorry to interrupt. Yes, because Judah it was Judah and Benjamin in mm-hmm. the south, and you also had the tribe of Levi who lived amongst all the tribes because Levi didn't That's own. Rough. So we have a Levite yeah. with us right now. The Levites didn't own land in Wash Israel, <laughs> so they didn't have their own like place where they they were just amongst everyone because they were the teachers. Ah, yeah. Right. So this is actually before we get into like the controversial stuff. This is just cool. Jewish history. Super cool because especially the prophecies, uh, you know, back then said that one day we're going to unite and the real in the future. And even the Vilna Nagon says it's a crucial unification to get to the redemption. So I just look at those prophecies as like a really good, you know, Hail Mary that they threw up past and. Here we are in 2022 catching it. The Hail Mary is an interesting choice of word there. I, know, I was like, is that a good word? Because, you know. Because I don't know if we want to. We're going to confuse a you lot. Know what? A I lot will, of people confused. I will say in Yeshiva, <laughs> even in Yeshiva, when they played football and they throw up a pass, the boys still say Hail Mary for the pass. So for our evangelical audience, there's yeah. still hope for you. Yeah. Um, but so that's interesting. Ten tribes, historically, everyone agrees on this. This is not controversial. Are expelled or exiled. You're left with the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin together as Judea, that the modern term Jew comes from. Yes. And that's how we identify today, that the Jews of today are basically, the ones that have a recognition are from Judea. We're not even from that kingdom, because Mm -hmm. that kingdom was sent into exile into Babylon, Mm -hmm. and then a small remnant of those Babylonians came back to Israel for the Mm -hmm. second commonwealth to build the second temple, and then we are the descendants of those individuals. Uh Mm -hmm. So we're the descendants of the remnants of Judea. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, after, I mean, the first temple is King Solomon, and the second well, temple is well. Timeline wise, who built second temple? Second temple was built. Herod the yeah, Great. Well, you have Ezra and Nehemiah who Ezra come and back, and then um, you know Herod did the renovations after it was already built. Right. And then we had a court of the men of the great assembly, mm-hmm. who still today my rabbi's rabbi's rabbi traces back to this court. Right. So all the Jewish practices and customs and traditions that we have today, when most people don't realize. Um, is covered in the book of Judges. Is this what? what you're yeah, this about? all goes back to the period of the, of the final prophets mm-hmm. and the, and you know Ezra and Nehemiah. Right, right. Who built? Who came back post Babylonian and uh, the Babylonian exile back to, and, to Israel and uh, these were kind of it was, but it was those. It wasn't what what the lost ten tribes did not go to the Babylonian. No, we don't know what most, happened. Well, the fascinating thing is if you realize mm. that in the story of Purim, which happens during those 70 years that the Judeans are in Babylon, mm-hmm. you know, the kingdom of uh, this kingdom, Ahasuerus, the ruler at the time, mm-hmm. he ruled from Africa to India and 127 provinces. The Persian Empire. Yes. 127 nations from Africa to India. And in each one of them, they were Israelites. They were people from the house of Israel, mm-hmm. and they spoke different languages. 
how in a 70-year period can the Jewish people get to India and provinces in 127 nations? So it must have been it wasn't the Jews at that time he was also ruling over and trying to kill. It was the Israelites who were sent towards Afghanistan who stretched all the way towards India. Mm-hmm. They were also in his rulership. And this is why it's uh, one of the chapters in the book of Esther. It says the people were mit yahadim. They, a lot of people converted at that time. Um you know, mm-hmm. a mass conversion basically across the Silk Road from Africa to India. Mm-hmm. And we believe it wasn't just a conversion of people to who wanted to become part of this. It was Israelites who adapted the Jewish way of thinking because they saw it was preserved from the courts of the Temple of Jerusalem. They converted back into yes, and this Judaism? Was, yeah. Uh-huh. There were people that well, did that. Well, back into th- there, there was a, a portion of the Israelites that kept, that like, I, I'm, I'm asking, like, kept sort of uh, stricter... They, they, they kept the tradition alive while the 10 other tribes were unable to do that. The Judeans, uh, Judah specifically, was tasked by Jacob to keep the law, the scepter of the law, until the final redemption, until the end of days. I like that with the scepter of the law. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it says, uh, the verse says, they'll hold the, hold the scepter of the law until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is numerical value in the Torah of Mashiach, of Messiah. Mm-hmm. So we see that the Jewish people were responsible for the law until the Messiah comes. Any relation to the city of Shiloh? There's only one line of Navi I ever remember. Elkanah went to Shiloh. <laughs> and then I forgot the rest of the year. <laughs> Shiloh's a great place I visited there. Um, so yeah, basically to answer your question is we were the keepers of the law because we had the temple, we had the courts, and we had the law. Yeah, uh-huh. And we, we, we brought... Ju- descendants of the tribe of, Jew- yes. of Judah. Yeah. What were the other ones? The other tribes tasked with, do you know specifically? Do I think we, a lot of them we were just farming. Um, you mm. know, one tribe you saw, you have Isasar and Zavul, and one was learning, yeah. one was working. They were just living their best life, mm-hmm. and the temple ruled over the law of the house of Israel. Right. The temple is what decided the laws, and that's where they, um, that's where it all went down. How does this story play out with what we learned in sort of modern Jewish history with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all of that stuff. Does that come way later in the timeline? So that comes way later. And that that's was doing dealing still amongst Jews. Yes, right? that was inter-Judean beef right. that was going inter-Judean on. Inter-Judean beef. Uh, <laughs> Good name that's a great... They, they serve inter-Judean beef at this rush, at this Bukharian place. It's amazing. Um, but so then... So I'm, I'm fast-forwarding because my brain... This is cool. And then my brain is kind of scrambling through the different timelines. But the modern term Jew, which we trace back to the tribe of Judah... And these tribes that we're talking about, I mean, the term Jew today is sort of an umbrella term that does encompass Jews from different parts of the world. So how is that distinct from the 10 lost tribes versus the recognized Jews of the world that are inter- that are spread out geographically? Such a good question and so relevant <laughs> because really t- now what Jew really means now is the law that the Judeans preserved is being adopted, you know? Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned Bukharian before, there's mm-hmm. some theories that the Bukharians are such an old community, they were from the Ten Tribes, mm-hmm. from the first exile of the Ten Tribes, not from the Judeans. And they had taken on the law of the Judeans when there was, um, you know, communication with the Babylonian yeshiva institutions, mm-hmm. let's say in the year seven or 800, um, that they said, okay, we'll, we'll take back the law. Mm-hmm. So if someone takes on the 613 commandments of the Torah and the law as preserved by the house of Judah, generation to generation, even until today to me, you've merged yourself into this thing called Judah. Um, 
But at the end times, there's something called the unification between Judah and Israel. You may not even realize, but you say it every single day when you pray in Hebrew. Don't make assumptions. Hypothetically, you would say, if you were praying every morning, Yehuda Israel, that the we pray for the unification between the house of Judah and the house of Israel. So when the, you have a tribe, let's say, across the Silk Road who says, we're from the house of Israel, you know, we don't say, oh, so you're Jewish. We'll say you could become Jewish if you join back to the law, and this is the kingdom of, like, David's law, so you're in. So that's, like, what's been happening throughout the exile. But we believe in the future there's going to be a greater unification where it's not individual conversions. There's going to be nations that are mm-hmm. going to wake up and unite with us, and it's going to be a whole new reality and a whole new series of laws that are going to emerge from it. It's called the the messianic days, you mm-hmm. know, and people may think you're kooky to say we're living in them, but who knows? Well, what I love about what you do is that everything, you, there's this whole sort of like narrative that's existed for the last few thousand years that has just sort of like fell out of fashion in the last few hundred years, I guess. So like when we go to school, we don't learn about it, but then everything you say, you bring back to the text and, and you're like, well, it's not crazy. Cause you're right. It's in, it's in there. It's in the, the prayer book. And we say it every day. Mm-hmm. No, no one ever thinks about what it means, but it is there. Yeah. And it's like pretty, it's always been fascinating to me to hear you talk about this stuff. I appreciate it. It, it should be fascinating because yeah. it's a precursor to world peace. And guys like me and you just want world peace. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so fascinating to us. Michael wants world destruction. Yeah, it's first. not good for the podcast. I don't know if peace <laughs> is good for the podcast. But, but I, I think you answered my question. But basically, the idea of the distinction between Jews that are spread out geographically and possible the 10 last tribes is there's, there, could be link, there could be links between them. We just don't know. Is that what you're saying? That Jews that are in India, they could be like, people who discovered the laws of Judaism and adopted them, or they could be actually descendants of the Well, we've done enough research to say that there are Jews in India that come from the 1400s from the Spanish Inquisition that Mm. made it there, so there's very recent, so to say. Yeah. Um, That's more on the west coast of India. Mm -hmm. But then in the upper east corner, you have the Bnei Menashe, who are the children of Menashe. You know, they don't look like anyone, you know, they're Oriental looking. They don't Mm -hmm. look like what we'd recognize a Jew, but they say they're from the ancient house of Israel. So it's it's most likely that they're not just a bunch of people who learned about it and wanted to convert to it. The likelihood is the what happened across the Silk Road two thousand seven hundred years ago, which we're in this we're talking about mm-hmm. this now, is well, first let me just rewind. You look at the story of Esther and Joseph. These were two Israelites who in two different time periods who ended up in far flung places of the world, one in Egypt and one in Babylon, and somehow rose to become influential and rose to become powerful. Mm-hmm. So the main base camp of the Israelite exiles now in Afghanistan 2,700 years ago. And to get to India, there was travels across the Silk Road. That doesn't mean 10,000 Israelites showed up to northeast India and became a village there. It could have been one. Mm -hmm. One Israelite who was a good businessman on a journey with his friends found his way to a village of these people. (laughs) Yeah. And they saw that he was a very wise man, just like they, just like Pharaoh saw in Joseph, and mm-hmm. said, "You know, why don't you come rule with me and help us restructure how we grow food and distribute wealth in this little micro economy?" It's and the, too hot in here. Can we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because and um, in India, and so yeah, this happened. Right. The, it's like just taking a glass bottle and slamming it on the floor and just yeah. seeing how all the shards go. Over. 
were. Right. So the Israelites from Afghanistan just started to travel across these Silk Roads. And that's why you see within 100 years of each other, the Pashtun are formed with their 40, 50 million people today that say they're from the House of Israel in Afghanistan. You have Buddhism that pops up within 100 years and the Shintoism, which is the oldest monarchy in the world, whose whole temple and worship is structured around some King Solomon first temple-looking stuff. Mm. So you see a cultural boom within 100 years of the tribes of Israel going towards the Far East. So for me, there's no smoke without a fire. So you actually are attributing a lot of these institutions and uh, uh, these these things that are popping up across history have, has, have having potentially Jewish roots in the, in ways you would never imagine. Well, look at Japan. They're a two thousand six hundred year old kingdom, the oldest yeah. kingdom in the world, yeah. the oldest monarchy in the world. They have a holy temple today uh, in Mount Moriah in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mount Moriah is the same mountain where the King Solomon's temple where the Japan temple today has three chambers, an outer chamber people celebrate, inner chamber where priests do sacrifices, mm-hmm. and an inner chamber where they keep a golden ark on four poles with golden birds on it, and they keep three things in their ark. And their priests there wear these little phylactery called Yamabushi, uh, wear these little phylactery-looking devices on their foreheads. And they claim to be an ancient nation who was chosen, you know, had a chosen homeland. They were exiled from their land reestablish their kingdom here. So when you look at the Silk Road, at who's saying they're... And yeah, yeah. you will never find a kosher restaurant without sushi. That's what, that's what, that's the joke about the whole thing. But that doesn't mean I'm Silk saying Road, that 10,000 Israelites showed up to Japan. Mm-hmm. It means an Israelite must have reached there at a certain point of their exile as we were commanded to do. We were supposed to go to the four corners of the world. Mm-hmm. That's what the verse says we were supposed to do. What, what if someone said... Th- that's just sort of the structure of holy temples, and the Israelites took it from someone else. And, By the way, and... Israelites left with a lot of things that were done in ancient Egypt. Uh-huh. You know, so that yeah. was the reason we went there in the first place, according to the Kabbalah. Mm. And this is where the psychedelic lecture comes in, because mm. uh, the reason we had to go into Egypt was to extract these things that they had of light that had fallen there. Mm. So, mm. So, yeah, so, it's, so it's possible the Israelites did kind of co-opt it, but it doesn't mean that. The Shinto didn't wasn't a continuous. This whole stuff goes back to Adam, you know, to the first man and these things. But the Israelites, we believe their purpose was to spread it across the Silk Road. When you Mm -hmm. look at history, it does. And I'm not that type of guy to be like, oh, I think you are. I found this because the Japanese people themselves are reporting on TV that they think they're from the House of Israel because of the legends and the connections. So I was like, oh, now if you think you are, let's talk. Because even if you are or if you're not, this is a great thing to unite us for Mm. world peace. So I didn't even care who who is or isn't. It's not about converting or the right of return. It's about world peace. And And you talk to these people. You're, the you're, first thing I did when I found this out, I start going onto Twitter in like 2000 <laughs> or whatever it was, like 10 years ago, and tweeting like people from different royal families, from different tribes that say they're from the House of Israel. I'm like, yo, I got to link up with some millennials my age who think this and just start. So the next thing you know, I'm like tour guiding like like guys my age from the royal family of Japan around Israel, just being like, let's bro out and be friends mm-hmm. because that's what we're supposed to do for cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I went to a lecture in Miami, Florida. Of Jordan Peterson, and the lecture title was uh, "The Meaning of Meaning," essentially describing this sort of universal yearning that every human being has for the divine, and patterns that have come up in art, in culture, in religion, in mythology. He went through all of these different things, and this common thread about this consistent depiction of images to heaven, images to the divine, to, to reaching beyond ourselves. That I wonder. To Michael's question, is this just something that is a 
that is, you know, a, a, a image of God, Tzalem Elohim thing that exists, that's a human universal, or are you attributing it to the house of Israel? Like, or is or those one and the same in your mind? So there's two different realities. Mm-hmm. One is like a yo-yo, you know, if you like throw the yo-yo down, like it comes back towards the source. Mm-hmm. So we who have souls, humans, the souls come from the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. So it's the nature of the soul to want to go back to its source, to like right. return to where it's going. So everyone on this planet has a deep subconscious underlining yearning to return to its source, which is in the divine and spirituality. Mm-hmm. But the purpose of the people of Israel was to help people get there. So we had to go on this journey around the world to spread information that would liberate people from egotistical uh, man-made God religions where humans were making themselves God over others. Mm-hmm. And we were like, that can't be part of part of it. And this light unto the nations, that is a core Jewish value or a core Israelite value if we want to be. Yeah, being a light unto the nations was decentralizing spirituality and divinity that we all can have access to it without middlemen, um, which a lot of the ruling nations historically try to put middlemen into a position. Right. And, um, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Years ago, Mike, we were talking spiritual stuff, religious stuff, and Michael, we were having this debate, not with me directly, but in this conversation, there was a bunch of people. And Michael looks at somebody and just says, you should just realize, like, because somebody was arguing for, like, uh, taking his, he was taking his Jewish pride a little too seriously about how, like, you know, you know, and it was reflecting his sort of insular uh, lack of exposure to other people. And Michael said, just remember something. God isn't Jewish. (laughs) And it was just like a a thing. It was like, it hit me. It hit me. I'm being, I'm saying it. It's hard to be, it's hard to be sincere, but it's true. He said, God isn't Jewish. Just remember that. Like when you're talking about who has a claim on the truth of uh, of the divine or whatever, you're talking about that we are tasked with this mission to spread this sort of source, but we're not the source. We're channeling it. Yeah, we're just humble middlemen. Yeah. You know why you liked it? Because that's Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi yeah, Jonathan of course. Sachs. Yeah. 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 And it was that a friend that you really wanted to dig into. <laughs> and Michael knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, the point is back to sort of the history of what we were talking about, just to catch us up a little bit. So this theory is these tribes are spread out, and the, in the research you've done, did you find consistency in practice with like tribes in East Asia, like the you said the sons of Menasha, in terms of religious and observant practice? Does it reflect anything similar to like what Ashkenazic Jews in the states do on a on a Sabbath? It's a good question. First of all, we just have to understand when the tribes went into exile, they were already worshiping idols. Mm-hmm. You know, they were already like not these Torah practicing religious people. They're idol worshippers. Mm-hmm. But if you do look at the base camp of the Israelite exile in Afghanistan, the Pashtuns, mm-hmm. another word for a Pashtun is Bani Israel, the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And we spent a few years pulling big data out of Afghanistan, sending surveys to different villages. Mm-hmm. And we've come up with a list of things that are clearly only found amongst the teachings of Moses, um, like Leverite marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, if a, if a person dies childless, his wife has to marry the brother, and there's a process if she doesn't. Yes. Happened in my family. I just found out. Yeah. Is your uncle your father? <laughs> Generations <laughs> ago. Oh, they had to do that. A yeah. Yibam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Um, so they have that. They have um, cities of refuge where uh-huh. if you're running you know, for your life and someone's supposed to be killing you, you could have a sanctum and a protection. So in there the are things. This there is are, with among the Pashtuns. Uh, Eighth-day circumcisions, uh, right. unlike other Muslims, because they're Muslims today, but unlike other Muslims who would eat camel and shrimp, uh-huh. um, the Pashtuns won't because of the law of Moses. Huh. And they have their own code called Pashtunwali, which is basically the law of Moses, very... 
uh, strict without like the oral interpretation we have where it says eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. It's not like literally if you poke out a guy's eye, the Torah tells you to take his eye. We had our sages be like, wait, it's the monetary value of the eye and there's a way mm-hmm. to calculate it in the courts. We're not poking out eyes. We're not cutting off hands. <laughs> but they out there, they're cutting off hands and, you know. And poking out eyes. Because We're cutting off hands and poking out eyes. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, an eye for an eye, you know, literally. But it, but it stems yeah. from text. That's, I mean, these traditions it, have. It have stems from lingered. their yeah, text, yeah. and it's just a lack of uh, transmission of the oral law, which gave context and understanding to the Torah, which the Judeans kept perfectly intact. Mm-hmm. I on that, I just, I'm curious when you say they identify. Well, I want to take this now into sort of the modern context because there's this idea where you talk about this idea of unification. But a lot of times in the stuff that we hear expressed in sort of the black Hebrew Israelites of the, on the streets of the city, there's this replacement theology that's going on where it's, we are not one with you. We are not part of your nation. We are the legitimate nation. You are the illegitimate nation. And it's something that seems to be expressed as a means to replace or correct the modern understanding of who Jews are. We are the real ones. You are not the real ones. And it seems to be mutually exclusive and also very anti-Semitic. So I'm curious... What your experience has been in that, unless we're jumping the gun a little bit, Michael. No, no, well, I mean, let's... It wouldn't be really yes. anti-Semitic if these people do indeed come from the same region as us. Because mm-hmm. uh, most people misidentify what anti-Semitic is. Semite comes from the shame, from mm-hmm. um, one of the children of Noah, mm-hmm. who from this comes the people of the house of Israel. And so if these people, if, if they are, if they're not, which we're going to discuss right now, are mm-hmm. from the house of Israel, they can't be anti the house of Israel. It's the wrong term to use to them. You can call them very misinformed a uh, cultish under some ego, well, tr- you know. I, 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 yeah, I to be to push back a little bit. Yeah, I get it. Technically, that may be semantically true. We mean Jew hating. Yeah, like okay, anti-Semitic. Everyone's like a lot of, but the, that, a lot of yeah. lots, like you know, you hear the nation of Islam or Black Hebrew Israelites, and they're just like, I can't be anti-Semitic because I'm a Semite. It's like okay, but you're hating Jews, right? So we have to use a better word. <laughs> so than it's a misnomer, right? Yeah, of course. Hating, but Jews. I don't understand that what yeah. they're making. Yeah. yeah, there's too much Jew hate going on, and I think it's a huge misunderstanding that we mm-hmm. could bring some clarity to now in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Try to see where this is going to go. Yeah. So right. So it's time for Jew so hating. In, in, our <laughs> la- in our last conversation, I was trying to articulate this idea that. For whatever reasons, in the last 75 years since the Holocaust, the approach of American Jewry to anti-Semitism has been stop it. Like, shut down conversation. There's zero tolerance. Any tolerance towards anti-Semitic speech has to be, like, fought with like we're fighting for our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to recognize that's, that's a strategy. That's one way to go about it. We didn't go about it like that until after the Holocaust. Mm. People were saying all types of crazy shit about Jews, and we just kind of took it or whatever it was. But, but like, I'm, I was just, I was just trying to say, like, is there another way to deal with what Kanye is saying mm-hmm. instead of a tweet from the ADL saying we will not tolerate speech like this? Right. And so I think Harry is someone who I, I've, I think you're the only person I've seen at least on social media having some sort of other approach. Which I'm very interested in because it doesn't seem like the approach of the ADL is being productive right now. Yeah. It seems like it's alienating people and just causing people to go into their camps, especially as as you see in the comments on our on our videos. Yeah, and I think and so. I, I want to hear Harry talk and I, about yeah, that. Yeah, and I think off, honestly enough, it stems from the "never again" mantra of the Holocaust is being applied to express uh, not just to actions that are murderous. And genocidal, but any sort of speech or conversation that obviously is clearly hateful, 
um, we're applying we're applying the never again to uh, to almost anything, you know, equating speech conversation to the actions that are obviously intolerable. And obviously never again applies to these intolerable actions. Like we can't let anybody act this way towards Jews, treat right. Jews this way with violent actions. That's where we draw a line. And then after that, to prevent those actions from happening, what, what's a, what's a, what, what are your, your, your thoughts on the strategies that we're implementing today? I think that this whole scenario is going to lead to a solution mm-hmm. that will be the, the strategies. Mm-hmm. So, but we have to rewind a little before we get to it yeah. to understand context mm-hmm. of what is a black Hebrew Israelite in the first place before we understand how do we answer them back in a way that's not like talk to the hand like mm-hmm. and, and cancel them. <coughs> right. Um, so should we do that now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ju- just a little bit more background. You, the, the, the book, especially want to talk to you, the book that Kyrie Irving is promoting you've liked a bit you or you've had conversations with that author many and and mm-hmm. you're you're very involved with Amari Stoudemire um you're like yeah I think you helped him through the conversion process he yeah, helped exactly. himself but I was just a study partner of True, his along you're, the way. you're very involved yeah. in the community I don't know I don't know how to categorize Amari I don't know how yeah. he categorize himself but like you're just a holy you're not Jew. just like you're, <laughs> you're in this space in this you stuff. are in this yeah. space that a lot of people, when it comes up, is like, yeah, shut it down, so, anti-Semitism, right. we can't hear it. So I've been in this space because I've been debating these uh, hateful people. Um, obviously, Amari's not in that camp, the mm-hmm. people who are hateful um, towards the Jewish people. I've been debating them for many years, <coughs> and I found it to be very easy to discredit their logic that they're promoting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not really coming with logic, they're coming with emotions. Mm-hmm. So that's where the there's like a clash. So can you explain the claims and yes. the context? First, let's go just rewind because the real mm-hmm. elephant in the room is if you go to the government of Israel's website on their view on the lost tribes of Israel and who's from the house of Israel around the world, mm-hmm. you'll notice one of the most common names in that report is the Igbo tribe, the Igbo tribe. Mm-hmm. And these are about you know 40 or so million people in Nigeria that self-identify as being Jewish. And now there's, you know, 60 Orthodox communities in there who have converted and are practicing Judaism. And the leader of the Igbo people um, ruling over them is trying to, you know, create an independent Jewish state. And they're, they're, they have a whole Jewish revival going there. It's fascinating. And the government of Israel is loving it and they're supporting it. And Jewish people are making documentaries about it. And it's like the most exciting thing ever. And it's giving people a lot of like biblical renewal. I but, just had a Lyft driver uh, yesterday telling me about all this and i was kind of like all right what it's all true what you're talking about it's crazy so your lift driver was Ebo from nigeria i'm so sure that's what he was saying to me yeah all this stuff he was saying that yeah. he said israel's been supportive so anytime i'm in israel at like the western wall and i see a Ebo man yeah. that i could tell because they're wearing nigerian outfits yeah. i say are you, are you jewish he's like yeah how, how do you know and i'm like well bring it in give me a hug yeah. you know? no that's what he said to me he picked me up at, at a jewish community center he goes are you jewish and i went <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he goes. This uh, just, this this place is this house of worship, or this is uh, what is this place? And I told him with the JC. It's like it's a community center. They do events. It's about a uh, building community. They do all sorts of. They take people from all races. I said, yeah. He's like, you know, I am, I am from Nigeria. Ibo. He didn't say Nigeria. He, he, and when I said Nigerian, he's like, not Nigerian. Ibo. Yeah. Not Nigerian. I am Ibo. I am Jew. I am Jew. And we're trying to do what Israel did. They're supporting us. And he started going on this whole thing. 
Yes, because um, Nigeria is just a name that the British like threw on to the amalgamation of a bunch of different tribes there that destabilized the region and mm. led to a genocide and a holocaust of the Igbo people. Um, when mm. the 1960s, millions of them were systematically killed and murdered. Yeah, he told me about that too, but I was like running late. So and so it's like, <laughs> so this is so relevant because we have such a like never again star. holocaust yes, theme, but like yes. these people had it. But what is mind-boggling to me, which I can't imagine why this is not in the news and not spoken about, yeah. is that like a large chunk, more than a, a fourth of the transatlantic slave trade came specifically from this one tribe. Mm-hmm. So how are we not starting to connect dots and being like, wait a minute. So the tribe in Africa that the government of Israel is fascinated with and you know enamored by is now the blood of those people flowing through the African-American community here. Which would make sense to me why they're all being like, we have an Israelite affinity where we're identifying this is us. We are this. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, so, yeah, if the DNA of the blood of these people are in them, they have a valid claim to feel and say that where it goes wrong then is where spiritual bullies come and hijack that reality into forming cults that create hate. Um, and etc. So that's those. Those are the people I battle. I'm not battling the reality that you could be from the House of Israel, because, like I said, the bottle shattered and glass went around the whole world. I'm battling the bullies that are standing in between you and your inheritance, which is the Torah. Because if you really are from the House of Israel, come back towards the Torah. It's perfectly been preserved throughout the exile, um, which is what um, guys like Amari Stoudemire did, because he grew up knowing he was from the people of Israel from his mother. He had his identity. Does he have Ebo? Is he is he traced back it's, to that? No, or? we didn't do DNA. No. It's not about that. Because I'm like just curious I said, what his uh, path was to yeah, I'm sure it'll be interesting to test But that blood is flowing throughout the whole Western Africa And into the diaspora here mm-hmm. into America And when guys like Amare looked into it And he saw the Torah And realized that it wasn't coming from me I wasn't middlemanning it The Torah is right here It's, mm-hmm. it's from 3,000 years ago yeah. So when he went for the Torah He went for what his ancestors had He wasn't going for something that came from Europe Or came from a human alive today He was going for the real thing and so there's intellectual bullies today preventing the emergence of this Hebrew-Israelite uh, momentum. And that's the documentary that I believe was made that Kyrie uh, posted was by one of these individuals who spun up something that's not real to get people all... What was the false claim? Yeah, wait, wait, go, wait yeah. how, are they, how are they getting in between people in the Torah? Because they're making documentaries like this, which make really good arguments that I don't believe are logical, but are getting people's emotions... And and to to distract them from saying like well if you're interested in it to create his own power this it. guy what's wants the motivation to, he wants to be a king and a prophet he's like mm-hmm. I'm what what, I'm the what man. are the false claims let's just put them out there what's the debate well, uh, there's a first of all there's a few you know and we'll go through what I think are just the two main ones mm-hmm. for now we can go in later one is that there's a prophecy in the Torah in Deuteronomy that says, I will bring you as slaves again on ships to a land not your own. Mm -hmm. And you'll be in exile for 400 years, right? So they say the people came on the ships are saying, we fulfill this prophecy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're from the house of Israel. You can come from the Igbo blood. We were slaves on ships. And the the slavery, you know, there was like a 400-year anniversary that came like a couple years ago. And they're like, now the time is up, we're over. Like, now we're becoming a nation again. Mm. So that's their thing. So they say, you'll see in a lot of the comments, oh, those those people, those Jews, those white European Jews, they don't fit the description of the curses. So this is context to what they mean when they say that. And so they're saying, because you don't fit the curses, you can't be from the house of Israel. So then I say back to them, like, wait, so only if you were on a slave ship are you being from the house of Israel? And they're like, yeah. So I'm like, so what about the Igbo tribe back in Africa where you came from who are saying they're from the house of Israel? Are they not from the house of Israel? 
So that question just like already just what's the response? <laughs> you know, like what are you going to say? It just disproves the whole logic of the exclusivity of the curse. Right. And once you can disprove it with the people still who never went on ships, then it's the greater exile of the nation is scattered around and four the, corners the of the world. the argument is based on race. They're saying that because the, those people who are white were not on the ships, so therefore they're not part of this prophecy? So Asian, Japanese, Indian, Everyone. you weren't on a ship. You're not part of the prophecy. Okay. That was like the one thing they, they claim. Were Israelites yeah. never put on ships and put in? There actually are stories <laughs> of Israelites being sold on ships, um, you know, in, so. in the Mediterranean and yeah. to Rome. Rome, um, into Egypt. So and slavery as a whole, and as an institution, human institution, was was the standard. Yeah, right. but we're not Everywhere. we're not here to decipher prophecy. Uh-huh. Um, we don't believe that's appropriate. Right. And so we'll see what happens in the future. Perhaps they did fulfill the prophecy. Perhaps they didn't. It's an irrelevant point to the mm-hmm. fact that we know they came from people who are from the house of Israel who mm-hmm. are now practicing Torah. Mm-hmm. So that was like one thing, which was just like. The exclusivity thing's over mm-hmm. because then you're just discrediting the people you came from. It mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. You share the same DNA. The second thing was, especially in this Hebrews to Negroes documentary, which I've been battling him for many years, these guys. It's oh, on the ba- YouTube. Oh, just a, the, the, the documentary is called he- Hebrews, Hebrews to, to uh, Negroes. I, it's now like the best-selling thing on Amazon, they say. It's, it's a, a documentary, documentary also. And, and, oh, he, and that's the thing that Kyrie Irving recently promoted. He promoted he, on it. Instagram yeah. or something. Yeah. Roy Dalton Jr., yeah. is that his yeah. name? Yeah, it looks him So up. you could see me and him on YouTube yeah. where I'm like trying to very clearly just like tell him like this. And then, but he's trying to disprove me with like, well, what color was these people? What co-? I'm like, your questions are so irrelevant. It doesn't. It's like I'm trying to focus on one point that discredits your whole entire thing, and you're trying to do periphery point proving right. over here. Um, the second thing which I said, which I found to be very, uh, you know, elephanty in the roomy. I always say that because it's like, well, is he says that the I'm like, so who are the real Jews? He says. They are. They were real Jews in the Iberian Peninsula in Spain. You know, in the you know a thousand years ago, eight hundred years ago, these were real Jews. The Sephardic Jews. That's what he would say, okay. and yeah. you know, he's been, he said that. So I say back to him, I say, okay, so you're the descendants of these of these Iberian Peninsula Jews in in North Africa and the Moors and mm. all that. Um, did you read anything they wrote? You know, because they wrote things down, and we have all their writings still. They actually wrote things down every 50 years. We have all their texts. And so they can't answer that. I'm like, well, if you did, you would see that there's such a reality called conversion uh, from the laws of Moses. These real Jews, these real Israelites you speak of had the laws of Moses, and in it is called conversion. So off the bat, there's no such thing as exclusivity to a bloodline, because they're all about we are the real ones, we are the bloodline. It's not about bloodline, and it wasn't about bloodline since Moses. It was about the 613. It was about the truth. Who's in on this truth can be part of the house of Israel. So Exactly. So I said to them, even like I was willing to humble myself. My family traces back to King David through the Vilna Gon, but I was willing to be like, I'll settle to be a convert, and then you'd have to love me as your brother. Mm-hmm. But like you hate me, and you think I'm like a devil. You and think he does I'm evil. hate you. Yeah, these guys. They, yeah. Well, this can't, this hate that they have for the but white man has nothing to do with us. Yeah. This this was taught to them by the Europeans. This is trauma. How trauma works. Mm-hmm. When you abuse someone, the person you abuse usually will display those symptoms of abuse onto other people. So people, you know, not to compare this to that, but people who were molested as children often statistically become molesters. The idea um, that trauma repeats itself, yes. manifests. And yeah. so these people were taught by white individuals to divide by race and color and were segregated. And so they see color because they were taught that. So they look at us and identify me with the slave owner because right. I'm the same color as the man that traumatized them. Which is a funny thing about Jews because 
you know, the weird thing about anti-Semitism is you can be, you know, you know, maybe from the African-American community, hatred towards Jews is Jews as white oppressors. And yet there's also anti-Semitism by white people who hate Jews because of their not, they're not they white. Do. And it's this mm. strange, it's kind of what makes anti-Semitism a unique form of racism as compared to other more cleaner or clear cut forms of racism where it's based on your skin color because everything you're saying up until this point really, I think demonstrates the Jewish family as to what it means to be a Jew, that it's not just, a, it's not racial, it's not religious. It's kind of all of these factors that kind of unites Jews around the world, Israelites around the world, this whole set of kind of ideas or whatever you want to call it. I've heard it described as one big Jewish family. That's what it means to be Jewish and not, pinpointing as one of these things but that makes anti-semitism that much more complex too yeah i tried to explain to a lot of these people i was arguing and debating in the african-american black hebrew israel community mm. that we had a miserable time in europe like mm. i'm a european mm. they didn't let my family own land they would like rape us every 50 years and yeah. kill us and like pogroms and like torture us to convert to their religion we had a miserable experience amongst those Wasn't crazy good. europeans and so I relate to you, mm -hmm. who they took you on ships and, and whatnot. But then they say, you know, there was like Jewish money involved in the slave trade and stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I don't get any dividends from that. So <laughs> if there was and they still have money in their family today, I'll join you in the class action lawsuit if you want to like get yeah. a little reparation action. No problem by me. But that has nothing to do with the Jewish people. Right. right. Because we're just here to like study Torah and bring light onto the world. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. Any shady Jew who did some evil stuff got to be dealt with mm -hmm. but don't that, bunch it together that's a great segue though into another narrative which is a source of animosity from you know at least in, in the remarks that kanye was making in particular because Kyrie is talking about this specific uh idea about this book and that's what we've covered here so far but this idea of jews disproportionately represented in industry and business and perceived as successful even though we're you know a small population size but disproportionately represented in uh, uh, success and things like that in business. These narratives. So, like, maybe we could speak about that a little bit because, based on what you're talking about, um, I have some interesting things. First of all, it's super shady, yeah. you know, because it's like, whoa, like, the Jews are a little too powerful for comfort. If I wasn't Jewish, I'd be a little like, whoa, is this okay? Like, you speak your secret language and you get together without phones once a week on Saturday <laughs> to like drink and conspire. Um, but no, but I was just kidding. But no, but you said something that made me think of it, and that was in particular. This idea that the, the the arguments you've been having with the author of this book has really been about he hates you basically because he's attributing you to sort of white European um, – and it's, it's a racial thing. He's isolating you based on your race, that you're you're like part of the white man, the white oppressor. But then there's a specific thing about – aside from white people, there's this idea of Jewish media, Jewish businessmen, control, control and power. They have this – outside of just white people, they have this um, other, other sort of uh, – caricature about jews that even a lot of maybe white anti-semites share that view you know what i'm saying yeah so just what i was saying it is like whoa it's like disproportionate and there's like so many out there but at the end of the day like jewish people value education mm -hmm. um business hustle mm -hmm. unity um we have we our name you know if you have a good reputation you have a good name integrity it, it's everything so We've been doing this for thousands of years, by mm -hmm. the way, being good at business and making money and doing this stuff. It's mm -hmm. not like an American new conspiracy thing. But what I find interesting is that we lose more Jews today to assimilation than we did in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So it means more Jews are disappearing today in America because they're being becoming secular and forgetting that they're Jewish than actually Jews died in the Holocaust. 
So when you're looking at most of these media guys and, you know, these people out there who are in powerful controlling positions, a lot of them have family members and their children who are marrying non-Jews and Christmas Jews and us. You give it another generation or two, mm-hmm. and that's just going to kind of disappear. Um, I mean, their Jewishness is the least defining thing about them. Yeah, they're like they're not six thirteening. They're not with the Jewish people's momentum mm-hmm. towards it, and not that they're just as Jewish as me, and mm-hmm. they're just as holy. You know, not that I'm holy, but they're mm-hmm. a Jewish person. You know, their soul is a lofty soul. We believe everyone has a lofty soul. There's nothing different between me and them, except for the fact that their bloodline seems to be going in a direction mm-hmm. that's not going to remember that they're Jewish, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so now we're at like this new ch- crossroads of like who's in, you know, like those guys in California who are running the media, they're out. Like they're not mm-hmm. keeping Shabbat. Their kids are marrying non-Jews, Christmas trees in the house. Their great grandkids may not have circumcisions, mm-hmm. you know. And now you got guys like Kanye who are like gravitating towards this thing called the Torah. Mm-hmm. So we're at a very interesting time. That's an interesting line you just dropped because, yeah, Michael. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, it's interesting to think about how like our tradition and heritage like it, it almost feels like people are trying to take it from us like they're trying to say no no no, you can't have it it's mine and it's like like we've been doing this for a long time you didn't want it no one wanted it you know 50 years ago mm-hmm. like what wh- it's it, there's this weird um there's this weird like uh momentum to it uh yeah. yeah, I think that's just like the magnet thing. You know, like how do birds know when to fly, like how to fly south and when to fly? It's like built into them, this whole thing. I think it's like built into the soul of the Israelite exile to like wake up in the future and want to come back and unite. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just need to create pathways to allow that to happen without intellectual bullies getting in the way and like leveraging that momentum towards themselves. So how would you have liked to see the Jewish institutions respond to Kanye's comments? Um, I think we should be responding not to him, but to the African-American community. Mm -hmm. And to first, the Jewish people have to understand this context of the Igbo tribe and the diaspora and the, you know, the government of Israel's report and that these people, there's something there. Um, And we have to be a light onto the nations right Mm -hmm. now. Like, we should shower them with love and blessings. Like, Mm -hmm. we have all this goodness. Let's, like, share some of it, you know, and show them so... I think the Kanye example is a little bit tricky, mainly because one of the things we spoke about in the last episode regarding his particular example is with Kanye himself, I think a lot of his rantings are rooted in mental illness. That's just my personal opinion, and Michael, I think, agreed with me that a lot of the stuff he's sharing, he's spewing, is like a mix of incoherent rambling, some of its affection for Jews, and a lot of its obvious hate, and crazy uh, attributions and conspiracy theories about Jews, and and, and it's very obvious that the remarks are... (laughs) A lot of there's a lot of pure anti-Semitism in the remarks themselves, but also he's very unstable and bipolar, in my opinion, and that's where that's coming from. But what's what's very frightening is the reactions to his comments. There's so much resonance that's exp- that, that that and people are expressing. He's dropping truth. He's dropping gems, and then our response to any sort of this to any of this stuff is to immediately knee-jerk reaction, reflex, reactionary, shut it down. Whoopi Goldberg says the wrong thing about the Holocaust. And instead of confronting it and maybe educating it and enlightening it, we say punishment. Go away. I, I don't think that makes people less anti-Semitic or less fearful or like you know want to speak their mind openly. I mean, we should be confident enough to have these conversations and not shy away from them and not just pretend they don't happen, but confront them without having to be punitive. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like the whole cancel idea, yeah. and you know, it's not a good look. It's right. like. Why do we have to, you know, do that? But uh, there's higher up agendas that we don't know about. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I kind of understand a lot of what Kanye is saying, and I'm very sympathetic for him and his cause. 
And I think that he should do his own healing on his own through mm -hmm. the plants, you know, the plant medicine stuff and mm -hmm. find his peace. Right. I think that people in his position also get fed a lot of drugs and are like forced to like, uh -huh. like, yeah, they, I learned a little bit about that. I'm not a professional, but there's a lot of unhealthy practice coming from their trainers and stuff to get them to do certain things. You mean things. in the mental health or like treating? Yeah, they like, they, they lock you up and call you crazy and put you on stuff if you don't cooperate with certain agendas. And it's a little scary, but like... Right, but mental health, bipolar disorders, psychosis, psychotic breaks, those are real yeah. things that happen to people that need treatment. Those are real things, but I don't know if he was like that originally or if that was like... He got there, like Britney Spears and stuff, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know, I, but, but, the, but we're so far from it. The meltdowns, I th wait, think that it didn't... It's, I want to I wanna dive into this. So you, you think you think there are people around It's not what him. I think. This is like already a known theory out there that the trainer... Like, there was a text message that surfaced. I don't know if you guys saw it from like, yeah, his saw. trainer. Posted it's it. like, you have one, one of two options. Like, you either co cooperate... Or I take you away and like you know, and you go to an insane asylum. His and get... like physical fitness trainer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but his physical fitness trainer was also the trainer for a lot of other celebrities who went nuts, including and like Lizzo. Got, yeah, and got taken away. So it's like, Wait, bro, what? this is super shady. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, it is. I did. Is this this just came out today? I just saw. So about is, it. Is, this, is this a, a trainer he's recently met or like? No, this is like his celebrity trainer, and the guy tells him you're gonna get taken away and put on meds and get called crazy. And lo and behold, you see Kanye's taken away in handcuffs and an ambulance. I was like, bro, he's trapped in some system. Yeah, but but, but his behavior. Behavior is very consistent. Well, I mean, I, I with I, bipolar disorder. I, I, I like that in the sense of like medication could do that to so, someone. Some, it some, could trigger you, but these it, pills could do that. Well, someone that rich and powerful has a lot of people around them who need them, who need something from them. Yeah. When you have that many people who need something from you, like whether or not they're cooperating, well, yeah. it's hard for one person to fight. But that let's just at a certain so point. that's called rich people's trauma, which I see very often amongst wealthy humans. Where you're not sure who's in your life because they love you, or who's yeah. in your life because they need money from you, right. and then they start to think everyone needs something from you, and then they go inside and lock themselves up and become depressed. It's a, you know, we believe you're lonely. In, wealth is a curse for sure. Uh, America's like idolizes wealth, but it leads to so many yeah. hard tests that break a human. I mean, Justin mm -hmm. Bieber has a song called "Lonely," and yeah. it's like one of the most powerful songs. I actually, yeah. think. You know, I'm so lonely, like. Everybody, something that nobody gave a shit. Like he does this whole thing where he talks about just how alone he is in the world. But yeah. that's a separate conversation, I think, about fame and loneliness and being adored by the masses and not having anyone intimate and close to you, which yeah. I understand that dichotomy. But I do think mental illness is a real illness. It's a real thing, and it is rooted a lot in in um, in what's in, in physiological issues that are going on in the brain. That I do believe that, and there's consistent manifestations of what bipolar disorder or psychotic behavior look like and he is displaying that yeah. and how it's being treated whether the treatment makes well, it worse or better fair enough all good questions how he should be handling it maybe there are people with uh, bad intentions around him that could all be true too but it's hard to speculate about someone like that we don't we don't know it's all being presented to us like theater anyway we're watching it from a screen like we don't really know what's going on in his inner circle we don't know his managers or his team but in general well, from what I'm seeing, I'm watching his behavior, and I know this stuff pretty intimately well. I have personal experience with it. I'm like, that's I, that's what that is. So the remarks themselves, I don't take in a serious, credible way. The the reaction to his remarks frightened me. That people not only take it seriously, I, I I'm bothered by the feti fetish that he's being fetishized by the media as like Kanye made some controversial remarks today. You wouldn't say that by somebody who was ill making remarks. You wouldn't he say that. So I I I I took issue with that. But my point is, you've confronted. Sorry, Michael. One sec. You confronted. Real hateful, I think, narratives uh, in in debating some of these people that Kyrie Irving was, uh, you know, drawn to. But now we're talking about other things in which someone like a Whoopi Goldberg 
or people who are resonating with Kanye's message, who's who among the things he said has said they're trying to shut me down, and then he gets shut down. So like, there's almost this false point that's being, you know, in unintentionally proven in our reaction to it. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? What's the proper confrontation to that? Yeah, that's like telling someone don't look there. They're gonna want to look there. So it's like <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna ban them, you're actually gonna give them more attention, right. and like you're gonna give more to their cause. Yeah. As opposed to if you just let them continuously uh, ramble and attract, mm-hmm. you know, people with uh, a low IQ who believe conspiracies without doing their own investigatory research mm-hmm. to follow them. And even people to the right of center who have been so anti-cancel culture for so long because it's come from the left are now afraid of canceling Kanye because let lest they look like a liberal in doing so. So they can't even call out the anti-Semitism that's right in front of them. So it all gets very confusing. Yeah. Michael, you're well, about to say well, something. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, like, whether or not Kanye is... Mentally ill. He, he's a he's a provocateur. So whatever mm. he's saying has to be taken like, like fr- from that. Fr- but but from that motivation. From that motivation. But yeah. but what? But either way, um, yeah. Like, what do you say? Well, like, what posture do you take against like a white kid in college who's commenting on our things? Like, yo, if you want to know who's in charge, see who you can't criticize. Like, n- nothing sort of like spiritual or traditional or anything to do with their identity they're just sort of like watching this and going like yeah that makes a lot of sense to me like what like how do you um what kind of like energy do you bring to that what's the alternative to that argument if there is like a leading elite class like not letting you talk about jews no no i'm talking about like like to that person like how do you how do you engage with that person in a constructive way um, like, like I, I don't know what to say to that. Like, when someone comments on that on one of our videos, I don't know what to say back. I'm like, just, how do you, yeah, how it's do hard you to say it back. One second, I'm always just very clear to like separate two realities, like ruling powerful entities that mm-hmm. you are, you know, fearful of, which may or may not be true. More likely, could be true, versus the Jewish people who are just like a humble, good nation mm-hmm. of humans that want to fix the world and mm-hmm. and like mind our business and help. You know. Mm-hmm. So there's two separate entities, and people bunch them together into one. So they associate us and our pursuit for our homeland and to have autonomy of religion in our land of Israel and to be you know, free people in the world with some people who may be the most powerful people in the world controlling media and manipulating mm-hmm. narratives. Two different things. Mm-hmm. So, so like validating, like, you no, know, like there are big issues. Yeah. There are systemic issues. I'm not issues defending, that, that like, I can't defend with, some media guys. Yeah, because, like, Right. Like if there's like a Jewish shady media guy who's controlling the thing, I'm not gonna defend him because mm-hmm. he's he's nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be the bloodline descendant of some really you know smart people. So maybe it made him smart enough to get to his position. But this has nothing to do with our pr- pursuit for a redemption of humanity and the unification of the tribes. Right. So don't bunch it all together. All right. That's mm. good. Yeah, I like that. I like answer. that. But. The other thing is also discernment. Giannis Papas, good, great comedian, makes a lot of funny stuff online too. Good podcast was going off on this too, and it was like, "Look, why are there a lot of Jewish people in this profession or that profession? I don't know. Why are there a lot of Greeks that own diners? That's what we did. We came here, and that was for all sorts of cultural reasons and influential reasons, and uh, you know, just like stuff within our culture. Like, why are there a lot of?" Uh, uh, Asian Americans that run laundromats. It's not some grand conspiracy to control the laundry industry, and it's not some grand Greek conspiracy to control the diner industry. <laughs> it's just that various immigrant groups from around the world have come, and for one particular reason or another, a lot of Germans have made pianos. There's not some grand conspiracy by some German elite to keep everyone else out of the piano-making business. And so just because we see disproportionate representation in various industries does not imply grand conspiracy with ma- malicious intent to control things. 
Yeah, it just happens to be that the 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 niche areas these Jews found them Jews found mm. themselves in is uh, powers of uh, positions of power and over influence. other humans. You have influence over other humans, so it's not like they're staying in their lane. They're coming out of their lane into other people's lane. Yeah, but I get it. I don't like the word power though. I feel like power is such a loaded term. Like politics in politics, how many Jews in the Senate? How many Jewish presidents have there been? None. How many Jewish military leaders? None. How many Jewish House of Representatives? Maybe one. What Eric Cantor and he lost right. many, if, many if years the ago. Jews did control America. You think there would be a Jewish president? There hasn't been. So I'm just mean the word power. I think is a loaded term that gets lumped in with maybe influence. I understand and I get it. Jews take a lot of pride in the fact that we're a small population and have a lot of Nobel laureates, and we have to we have to take ownership of the fact that when we get recognized for the good, then we may also get falsely recognized for the bad, and we have to be able to confront that honestly. But yeah. I, the, Mike was telling this story based on I was at the airport and like a couple of days ago in this whole Kanye, um, Kyrie Irving, you know, controversy. They're looking at like the New York Post and it says Kyrie finally apologizes for his tweets and remarks. And and these two like white kids who are probably more Trumpy were like, huh, New York Post finally apologizes. I thought the I thought the press was supposed to be, you know, unbiased. Finally. Apologize. He's like and he says these these words like, I guess if you want to know who's who's in charge, you figure out who you can't criticize. So that was one side. And the other side, I saw two black guys, two Afri- African-American guys talking about um, Kanye, I think, or Kyrie. They were like, yeah, he bent the knee, he bent the knee because he didn't have our support. So I was just like, man, our reaction to this is not working. This whole like slap on the wrist, punishments, fines thing. You don't you don't ignore it. You confront it. But there's got to be a better way to like have a conversation and engage with this stuff that dispels the myths and claims and false net and false claims. Without uh, causing this backlash, I think. This... Yes, yeah, so Jews you really can't criticize, mm-hmm. but also, who else can't you criticize? There's a long list of people you can't criticize. Of course. Um, White we... people you could say the worst thing about. So yeah, <laughs> I, I love all humans, so I'm just giving an example. Yeah. Not that I would feel this way, but if someone were to criticize homosexuals, right. uh, yeah, you're going to get canceled, yeah. you know? Or if you would use a, a racial slur for an African-American mm-hmm. or a critic... You're going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things we can't really talk about today. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah, you shouldn't say hateful things towards <laughs> humans. That's it. You may get right. canceled if you say hateful things because we're trying to create a positive environment. And I think what a lot of troubling these two know. these two white Trump support, Trumpy guys who are talking, I think what bothers them a lot, and I think what's happening is you're seeing it on like sort of the woke left that you can get on Twitter and say the most disgusting thing about all white people. Like, I want to kill all white Like, literally... If you had to design it, I you could you could call for genocide against white people and get praise for it. So you're creating this identitarian white that otherwise wouldn't identify as a race, but you're creating them by having this double standard where all these other groups are protected and yet this one isolated group you're isolating into a box, not a tri- not lumping them in with ever, uh, other humans as one human race. You're putting them in their own category and you're going to get a backlash, which we're seeing uh, this rise of sort of white identitarian, you know, and that's troubling too. Well, what I like about um, your approach is like there's there's actually a lot going on with 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 a, with a comment by Kyrie or Kanye or whoever it is that the people on Twitter or the people who want to cancel them or whatever are just not very educated about, and like they sort of come out swinging and, mm-hmm. and they're like calling Kanye ignorant when like the truth is there's like a whole narrative they don't know about, and so I like talking about it with you because like there's. There's millions and millions of people all, all all over Earth who are interested in the story, that just sort of the 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 like culture makers right now are just unaware of. Yeah, that's correct. So putting like a guy like Kanye and me in a room together, I think, would be productive. Because yeah, we're be, working on it. Yeah, we're working on it behind the scenes. <laughs> um, you know, because we would we would discuss um, we would discuss these matters, and you know, 
put context to some mm. of these things yeah. and really get, he needs like a roadmap of where this can go, you know, that's mm. positive. And I think he would just cling right to it because yeah. guy like that wants love, wants positivity, mm. wants, he's a beautiful soul, you know, mm. the way he speaks about certain things, he would attach himself right to that Torah narrative of mm. the ingathering of the exiles and the yeah. great uh, unification yeah. of world peace. But, yeah, I saw Amari put a video out and I don't know, I, I felt all like bad for Amari because I'm like, like you've worked so hard at this thing and like like the people you're talking to are, are they're not willing to work that hard to 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 understand what you understand and to know what you know and like like um you're just going to end up fighting because at the end of the day they don't really want to work that hard. Amari put in back breaking work day in day out to study and do the work. Yeah. To understand, to learn, to ask the hard questions, to challenge things. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a man put so much effort into yeah. truth than mm-hmm. this man. And I hope that, um, you know, he could be a role model for his community of what it looks like to be awakened and then pursue your inheritance of as a, as a people. Right. You know? It's a lot easier to watch a documentary for two and a half hours and be like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I saw, I saw Mar and I'm like, like, I, I, I'm the guy you're talking to. Cause I, I know, I know how lazy I can be. Yeah. And like I, I see how hard you work. And like, not yeah. even just lazy, because a guy like that is in a you know with a fame and power and money. I know you don't have power, but influence and money. Um, he could be doing anything in the world. He could be on his own private island. With a, about Amari, uh, yeah, Amari. Yeah. And uh, you know he chose to give up that leg because he's saying uh, he watches documentary, but like you don't have that much option in the world to be doing, you know, you're not going to a yacht party with models. and yeah. So guys like that who then stop that yeah. and go towards truth, it's like, whoa, it takes the muscles of a, of a giant. Well, here's the thing. Rabbi Harry. Yes. Where do the Kardashians fit into all of this? Both Amare and Kanye. Amare? Yeah. What does he have to do with the Kardashians? Is he not married to Khloe Kardashian at one point? <laughs> no, that was uh, a Lamar Odom. <laughs> that was Lamar Odom. <laughs> well, <laughs> got an here, people. <laughs> Whoops, he wasn't. But is there is there a conspiracy theory about the Kardashians? Oh, that was Lamar. I would love to hear about this. There's a legend they that love... they're going to eat mushrooms one day and heal, but who knows? <laughs> she's gonna, I still she's, think it was She's going to get into politics. Apparently, she's going to run for governor of California. Oh, uh, Kim. Kim. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I really thought I was onto something there. I was dead wrong. That's okay. And maybe a little racist. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But Lamar Odom is actually, he's promoting psychedelic healing right now. That's what psychedelic he did. Psychedelic healing. Do we want to move on to psychedelic healing? Yeah, well, I want to ask you about your hat. Trippy.vc is your psychedelic web three what nft dow thing i don't know i don't know i see you promoting it and i don't really understand what it is um it's very interesting when i moved to you know when i had that closet experience all those years ago mm-hmm. i had a vision to go to israel and get land it was a psychedelic experience the closet experience i still don't really know the details of it but whatever we don't have to it, it was it, it was it really it really was <laughs> <laughs> Um, Met- metaphorically because what psychedelics no. do actually is it could tap into your epigenetics and you can trigger ancestral memories um and what happens genetic yes as in genetics like like almost like reincarnation from other stored from previous uh, versions of your bloodline right and there's uh, a lot of studies were done that you know when jews take psychedelics they have holocaust visions when uh-huh. african-americans take psychedelics they have slave trade visions mm. and we get visions of our ancestors very often 
Um, what I'm almost convinced happened to me was I stepped into some uh, ancient ancestral uh, thought prod, uh, patterns. You know, what my two passions that I got into, which was getting land in Israel and finding the lost tribes of Israel, was the two main focuses and the serious desires of my ancestor, the Vilna Gon. So I was like, what in the world are the odds that, I, you know, someone could have this experience and then come out thinking like his great, 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 great grandfather? That was for me mind blowing. Um, which is relevant to this because if these African-Americans are from the House of Israel and they do take these plant medicines, it could actually help restore that Israelite, mm. uh, you know, identity. But is there is there a specific plant medicine? Plant medicine includes a topic of a few different psychedelics. You have the ayahuasca, yeah. the DMT, the psilocybin mushrooms. Um, these all can contain chemicals that open right. up parts of our is brain. Is there a particular one that if you could... Administered by force to no no if if you if 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 like if you if you if someone wants to volunteer for like a healing program is there one in particular you would want to no you really uh, have to uh, assess like what's going on in this individual's life okay. like what type of trauma did they have what's their trip like what's what are they and then you know you would have a professional practitioner prescribe yeah. and say I'd recommend this twelve hour journey or this right. fifteen minute experience you know there's different options different right. scenarios. Um, but the ayahuasca generally, you know, these are things that people go to and heal. Mm -hmm. But back to your question with trippy.vc is I ended up going to Israel and through a miraculous series of events, got a big farm, got land, and I wanted to build a center there for healing and for wellness. So people who are suicidal, depressed, or all these things can come and heal. It's like overnight healing, basically. It's real stuff. Um, but I didn't want to raise money through investors to do it because once you take money from investors and you have like a business model, it becomes about the bottom line and, and you could lose integrity for the vi vision to make money. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't do anything with the land for a long time. I have like people living there, horses, goats, chickens. It's all fun and games. And then with the advent of um, Web3. Toads. Yeah. Uh, listen, this, that's what you get. I was that's I'm channeling Mike Tyson. Uh, you look to toad, I look to toad. So I spoke to him about. It. I spoke to Mike Tyson once because I was like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute, what? Yeah, I spoke huh. to him about because I was like, because we were talking about uh, the psychedelics. In what uh, context did you speak to him? And we ran into each other. I was like, yeah, I'm a psychedelic rabbi. He was like, you know, he loves psychedelics. Uh -huh. And I was like, I said something to him about like something about God, and he just like stopped <laughs> and like stared at me. And like gave like a mystery face. He's like, "What is God?" You know, like. <laughs> and I was just like, "Mike, you know, like what you know, because you went, you had the experience. You should know." Mm -hmm. And he's just like, "I like that's what I That's what gave me truth, man. That's what God is. Because I, I like the toad, man. I like the toad. That's what I did." <laughs> How so did you run into Mike Tyson? It just you don't. It just happens on the farm. Goats, chickens, like and Mike said, Tyson. Uh, Goats, chickens. Yeah, got a guy living there. Yeah, Mike. His name's Mike. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, Mike like Mike said before that uh, you know for the last ten years this is kind of like African American biblical. Mm -hmm. It's like this is my thing. I enjoy. So I enjoy. Um, I and I find myself at places yeah, you yeah. never imagined. I understand the psychedelic overlap circles of bump, bumping into these people who are engaged. Biblical, with it. it's all. And when is the LSD that we all took before the pod going to kick in? <laughs> are we on a podcast right now? <laughs> I thought we were just talking. We're still, dude, we're, your we're beard still... just turned red. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> Did you ever think you're still in the closet, having this? For sure. Conversation. Still. Um, I'm still there. You're still there. The clarity I had oh. in 2006 yeah. is still in my brain. Yeah, you know that's something I'm. I, I, we're gonna get back to Trippy V. Sure. Yes. But there, there is something I. I Sometimes I think I I'm really, I really want to make sure we get this because um, we're definitely. But you've been doing this for so long. You're on like year 
16 now? Like, it's difficult for me to to stay focused and passionate about things for longer than a couple of months. Like, I've been, like, the thing I'm trying to pursue now, it's been, like, five or six years, and I'm really feeling like I'm hitting a wall. Like, how, where, where, where does that intensity and drive come from 16 years down the road? Like, to, you're on, you're, you're, like, away from your family in America, you take a cab from the city, like, you know, to, to come talk about this thing <laughs> when, like, you could just be asleep right now. Like, like where does that, like... I actually like, am in a position right now where I could be on a, in a desert island with my mansion and, you know, help and, you know, uh, boats and mm-hmm. I could be having the best so, time of my life. So you're making a living. <laughs> um, yeah. I co-founded an online university in 2008. I'm not, you know, I don't retire, mm-hmm. but um, thank God it's, you know, it's a good company. Mm-hmm. And um, if anyone needs college credits, they could always reach out. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> goats, chickens. But why am I not doing that? Why am I battling people and you know out here on the front lines trying to have these conversations? Is I explained to you before, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit more. Is after that closet experience, I found uh, such a peace in my brain. It was such such a good place. I found myself. I had so much life force, <laughs> and I don't know. I can't even explain it. And I kept like as time was going, and I was studying more Torah. I kept getting higher and higher and like enjoying my time and space. It's like a hedonist. I, I would call myself a hedonist, like someone who has to be experiencing pleasure. Mm-hmm. I just was finding my pleasure in the spiritual matters. But then it came to a point where I realized I couldn't get any higher than I was until everyone else around me was enjoying themselves. So I'm like, I can't chill any harder than I'm chilling already until you're all chilling. So I had to press pause on my chill to stop it, come back down to the whole craziness of the world and try to figure out how to get the whole world to chill so I can go back to my chill and enjoy it. It's like higher than it was before because I'm a connoisseur of the chill. I'm trying to chill as hard as a man can while he's on this planet. <laughs> and uh, so for me, that's like my motivation. It's like kind of like a South Park episode in my own head. I'm like, I feel like I'm in my own South Park episode where I'm like, I'm like trying to get the whole world to chill just so I can mm-hmm. have my own selfish chill. Okay. And um, so that's enough for me. I'm like, I, I'm never going to stop. Yeah. And I'm all in. And, and you remain interested, like you're not bored yet about talking about the Lost Tribes? I think it's very exciting. It's like a risk game that's happening in real life. Like, because this is like 50 million in Afghanistan and 40 million in Nigeria and, you know, decentralization technologies and ideas and like what yeah. the world could become. Like, I'm super excited. Every day I wake up, I can't believe I'm so fortunate to be alive. So like right now you're in a really cool moment just from an outsider where like... Um, like technologically decentralization is a topic everyone's interested in now. Like, and like now culturally in just in the last few weeks, the whole black Hebrew Israelite thing is something people are interested in all of a sudden. I don't even think it started yet. Yeah. 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 Like, so it's like right now it's really exciting, but like, you know, uh, 18 months ago, it wasn't that exciting. Like even, even in that moment you were able to find. So I had this, yeah, because, oh, because I had this excitement 18 months ago, knowing it would eventually happen. Okay. Because it says in the, I was, this whole time I saw this coming. I knew this would happen for sure. Saying it for 10 years. No, I know, I know. But (laughs) what we say in the Talmud, um, I'm not calling myself wise, but I'm trying to be wise. We say in the Talmud, Ezu Chacham Haroas Anolad, who is a wise man? He who sees the outcome. So, like, if you know what the inevitable reality is now, you can live it now. That's like me telling you I'm going to mail you a check for a million dollars. You know, it's super cool. So the check's in the mail. You don't have it yet. 
but you're excited about that check because mm-hmm. you know it's coming. So I'm certain of certain things that will happen that cause me to be excited now, mm-hmm. feeling it now, even though it didn't happen yet, because of my certainty. And this is like the Hebrew word bitachon, like it's higher than faith. It's like, it's not faith, it's absolute certainty. So I am certain there's going to be a global ingathering and a decentralization and world peace. So I'm so excited now seeing it unfold. You could not look more relaxed. Yeah. Look at this. The most relaxed guest we ever had. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Vulnerable moment here for a second. To your question, do you think he's still, when he's still in the closet, like that it's all an illusion? Yeah. I came across, I had a psychotic break when I was like 19, 20 years old. We've spoken about it on the yeah. pod. Literally a trip. If I could tell, it's a whole other story. But if he, when I describe it to people, it's probably similar to an LSD trip. I didn't take anything, but it just, it was a whole thing leading up to it. But I went, I went on a whole journey for a couple days, you know, and it was messianic. It was pretty weird. It was, it was all, you know, it was, it was, you know, you had these weird, you know, it was had paranoia, delusions of grandeur, and and it was, just, it was, it was pure psychosis. But sometimes I think I'm still laying there. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff has happened since then. Yeah, <laughs> and I came across a TikTok video once. That uh, I came across a TikTok video that kind of frightened me. Where I'm sure it might have been fake, but it's like uh, a man was, you know, lived in an, an entire twelve years, got married, had kids, had a great job, and all these kind of things. Woke up, and it turned out he had imagined the entire thing. He was in a terrible car accident and imagined fifteen years of his life that never mm-hmm. actually happened. So every once in a while, I'll go. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much continuity for it to be the case. Yeah. But like I remember like when and I told you this when COVID was happening and it was all so unprecedented and so surreal. And if you describe COVID like pre-COVID, it sounds like a ridiculous movie plot <laughs> that would never happen. So Donald Trump's the president, okay? And there's this virus. Okay, from from China, it just comes in, and everyone starts wearing masks, and you, you and, and like it just sounds like so dystopian and fake. And then the cops are showing up, and they're ripping people out of restaurants because they didn't get a, yeah. they didn't take their special medicine. It sounds like a dystopian novel. That's not real, and, and, but it was real. So and I, was I can't like, leave my apartment. And so I, I was driving home when it was all that that vibe of when COVID was like getting real, and and like and you go to the the grocery stores and stuff, and there's no toilet paper and like weird things that were disorienting everybody. For me, were a little freaky because I was like. Am I about to wake up? <laughs> anyway, I just thought of that when you were saying in the closet thing about if you're still in it, but there's too much continuity since then. I mean, uh-huh. um, from before and after, that makes too much sense. But maybe we're all in a simulation. Are we, Harry? I believe this is a dream we're in. We're in a simulation. I think this is a dream. The Elon Musk theory. No, not a simulation. You're, you're saying a dream. Yeah. Not is... a simulation controlled by uh, beings. No, not by beings, but this is... Uh... A state. We're in some type of scenario that was that could poof into nothing in a matter of a second. Uh-huh. That could poof into nothing in a matter of well, a second. Well, scientifically, they believe that as well, according to this quantum physics. Yeah. But the simulation theory is graining all this traction. I see it everywhere, where it's like, you know, the idea that if there are future beings that are much more sophisticated than us, then they're designing this all as a simulation. Or it's possible that artificial intelligence, we are, we've imposed conscious, we've, we've uploaded our consciousness to play these sort of games. Yeah, no, it just makes sense to me that there's a creator, an architect of this whole thing, a creator yeah. of the universe, and uh, the creator of the universe created a scenario to experience itself outside of itself for some purpose. Mm. Uh, whatever the whole purpose is, is I trust. I trust this simulation I'm in. I'm like, this is mm. this is all good. This is a good thing we're in, mm. and it's gonna have a good outcome. Right. 
And I don't. You're certain. I'm certain of it. And uh, like I say, if I'm in the closet or not in the closet, if I, if I'm insane, <laughs> we or, have used that term so yeah. incorrectly this episode. Yeah. But hey, people can read into it what they want. There we go. Um, perhaps like you know the question will rise: How are you crazy? Like, are you in some type of fantasy? And I'd say I don't even care if I am or if not, because the most important thing is enjoying the ride. Mm. And I'm enjoying the ride, so. That's it. If I was like super stressed and anxious about like the African tribes coming back and this, mm-hmm. you'd be like, Harry, you, you may need to like, li- you know, work, go to the yeah. gym, like do some things. Like, that's what I'd be like. Take it easy. Yeah. Like, but I wake up happy. I go to sleep happy. I feel grateful throughout the day. So I'm just chugging away at this mission. Could you chill any harder than you're chilling right now? Every day I chill harder than the day before, right. but it's not an, an accelerated rate I know a human could chill at. Have you ever met someone who's chilling at the level you want to be chilling at? I uh, know. I've been thinking about it <laughs> since I was a kid. Actually, when I was in high school, I used to wonder about who the hardest chiller in yeah. the world was, and I don't know who's a chiller. You're unmatched. Have you met any? No, I, there's definitely people. There's people who can meditate for like 90 yeah. days in their mind. Could, and, could, have you met anyone like, like you know, maybe they're like well known or celebrity or, or not at all? Who who you're who you're impressed by? By their level generally of not impressed by humans, um, but it, or animals, or have you met any being that has been like some animals are very impressive that do impressive things like polar bears and stuff that could hibernate and go months without eating and drinking. That's chill. Like, I'm like that. That is because that's what Moses did. Moses went forty days and forty nights without eating and yeah. drinking, and people are like, oh, that's so metaphysical. I'm like, polar bears do it. I'm like, <laughs> bears do it. Right. I'm like, I guess it's built into DNA to actually be able to do that and metabolize. And I believe Adam and Eve were in like a deep state meditation where they were inside of their brain in a psychoactive uh, state of consciousness where they mm-hmm. could have gone a thousand years without eating and just been in this place of light. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the pursuit to chill very hard. I don't know who else out there is, but I'm happy to link up with you and uh, cross collaborate on strategy. Did we wrap up? <laughs> wait, no, wait, and tell us about Tribute. Tribute. Oh, yeah, so wrap it up. I didn't want to take investment money for the farm because yeah. of the greed. And uh, they call me the tangent master. Actually, I always good at returning back. To Very tangents. good. That was that was honestly impeccable. How it's... you went from one. No one's can chill harder than me. Let's collaborate. Trippy.vc. Because I believe farm. that tangents should happen in conversations, but we have to be responsible to return back. Otherwise, yeah. it's a well, it's a meaningless conversation. It's helpful if we that can't you're wearing return... the hat. Cause yeah, it's thank a you. Reminder. I appreciate you doing yes, that. Yes. But uh, so you got Mike him. Tyson as a single investor. Keep going. No, then the <laughs> advent of Web three came out, yeah. which was uh, you know decentralized things and. Um, it gave new infrastructure. So within Web3, it's something called a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, mm-hmm. where groups of people can pool or... together, yeah. put money into something, but not own the thing for the purpose of making money. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute, I could raise money in a for-profit means without having to be it about making money and make it about impact? Or growth. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you have to have something. Grow. So our, our asset is impact. We want to have impact. We're not looking to make money. You have to be sustainable. You have to be financially sound. So we started a DAO called Trippy.vc, which is structured as a venture capital fund, and we created an NFT series to represent ownership in the fund. Very cool NFTs. Very cool website. One of the coolest websites I've seen in a long what time. What are the NFTs? The NFTs is a collection of a hundred series of this like Hasidic type of Jew in pop culture doing mm-hmm. di- different things, you know? And um, it's called the Hasid Club, the Trippy Hasid Club, THC. H-A-S-E-E-D. Mm. Yes. Right? Yeah. The Hasids. Trippy Hasid Club. Like it means the seeds in Hebrew, but it's like a Hasid, like loyal. And this could be bought on like the MetaMask marketplace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were sell- we created 100 of them to represent ownership of a third of this fund. 
Um, we released the first 40. They sold for 10 Ethereum each, which is somewhat significant. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to release the other 60 at a higher valuation because with the money we raised, we started investing in a few psychedelic companies in Israel. No doing, way. Yeah, we made our first investment uh, three weeks ago into a company in Israel no that's doing legal psilocybin research. And it's fascinating. We're investing in a few other things. We opened up a few. Yeah, Jews aren't good at finance. <laughs> it's just an unbelievable. Unreal. We opened up a few uh, on-site locations, including my land, where people could do psychedelic therapy. Um, you know, mostly ketamine, where it's legal with ketamine, but pla- places like yeah. You're not working with Doctor Ben Jepstein, are you? Yes, Doctor Ben Jepstein is wearing a trippy hat nowadays on cool. our team. Wow. Gotta have him on next uh, time. You have to. And uh, in Jamaica, where mushrooms are legal, we have places. So we did this. And um, and we created a club of what I would call right now the 40 most impactful people I can meet in the Jewish world. And some not, I think some not Jews, but not discriminatory. Anyone can come in. It happens to be everyone that bought an NFT was like, because they knew me and trusted me. It wasn't like someone read an article and was like, oh, we're like, oh Harry, you've got 39 families together that are impactful to like make change. I'll be the 40th, you know. Mm. Um, so we have this capital. Now we want to impact millions of people's lives to give them access to psychedelic uh, treatment for mental health. And so that's the purpose of this fund. It's part of my life uh, passion. Cool. And um, I hope to help people with it. That's really... Could someone go on and contribute like $100? So right now we're launching the next NFT series, which is not diluting the Hasids. It's going to dilute me and my partner who founded the venture. Who's your partner? Uh, His name's Yitz Klein. Follow him on Instagram. He's a genius Mm -hmm. and a good businessman. And um, those are called the seeds. The seeds. (laughs) Yeah, those are called the seeds. Uh, So we have the Hasids and the seeds. And the seeds could be for like $100 or something like that. So someone wants to get involved. Own a fractionalized piece. And then through that, you own. Yeah, I got the email. I was was like, oh, I'd like to get involved. And it's like $20,000. I'm like, maybe not. And it's (laughs) right time. Yeah. I don't know if this is, uh, this isn't too much of a tangent. It's related to this, but it speaks to a general theme we talk about on the podcast a lot. You seem to possess this ability, and maybe we can close here, but yeah. you possess this ability to sort of make things happen, you know, manifest things. Into, you know, a lot of times people uh, ideas live in people's heads. They just live in people's heads. But the way you're describing all the things you're up to and all these ventures, these projects that you stay committed to, and this latest thing with Trippy.vc is this ability to execute and actually turn these concepts and ideas into reality, into real entities. Can you speak to that process at all? Yeah, this secret sauce of manifestation. Hmm. Something I've been doing for a long time. Mm. I'm glad you noticed it. Mm. I'm, you can manifest whatever you want. You just have to want it. But there's like some conditions to it. Mm-hmm. One is it's advisable to want what the universe wants. So if your want is in sync with the universe's wants, then it will work. Like if I want to make like a a company that like takes harmful chemicals and puts it on your grass to like kill bugs, it's like does the universe want you to put poison in the ground? Like, I don't know if you're going to be, have such an easy flow manifesting that, but if it's something that's going to help the cause of getting towards the peak of the purpose of humanity, mm-hmm. you'll be going like with the flow of the river much easier. And then for me, I found my secret sauce in, um, I don't know if it's appropriate to say how to say it, but controlling my, um, my seed, you know, by, uh, I, spent- I don't know what that means. <laughs> I grew up, Discipline. you know, in high school, yeah, college, you know, watching pornography yeah. and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and do, you know, vices, like, vices, these type of things. And yeah. it spent about two years battling that mm-hmm. addiction, um, getting over it mm-hmm. and c- withholding, you know, from spilling my seed mm-hmm. in vain for fun, mm-hmm. which is like the hardest pursuit a man could actually do. Mm-hmm. But when I did that, I started to realize I was fermenting my creative juices mm-hmm. inside of me and 
and and forming this like power. And this was not something I figured out on my own. My ancestors wrote about this and, and said, if you can hold in your seed and just only release it in the appropriate times with your wife and never outside of her, never. I didn't expect to close on this, but this is good stuff. <laughs> It, it sounds it's very fashion right now. I'm not even kidding. It's no very, fap, yeah, no, no fap's fap. like a big. It's a big club. No fap is a big thing where a lot of people, not religiously motivated, but yeah. more success motivated, are talking about this idea of like, you know, you know, Chris Rock in one of his specials says like, you know, this stuff makes you sexually autistic. You know, when you do, when you, when you <laughs> indulge, when you indulge this stuff, you you become completely detached from and you become detached from real intimacy. You become attached from reality, from your own sense of drive. And he talked about, like, that was what Chris Rock said, and this neuroscientist was talking to Jordan Peterson about when you become stimulated by external things that you're not involved in, sexually, or and, and, and not indirect sexual experiences, you're, you're, you're draining your dopamine. Yeah. You know what I'm so, talking about. So, um, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, I give a lot of credit to that, because mm-hmm. our ancestors told us that if we practice that level of Jedi-hood, mm-hmm. that we'll have the power of manifestation. Yeah. And uh, so, I tried it out, and, you know, I'm on... You know, like year fourteen right now of controlling that mm-hmm. battle, and I uh, died two years fighting it. And I recommend people to try it out. And uh, I'd like to start a hotline one day. You know, for guys struggling, I have a lot of good advice that mm-hmm. I had to use to fight myself mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. conquer the voice inside of our head that is suggesting that we should please ourselves. Maybe we can sell uh, buckle up, Tikkun Aklalis. <laughs> yeah, and then you know when <laughs> I did when joke. I did fall, you know when I was those two years of battling, and you go up and down. Yeah. The most important thing is, you know, I never beat myself up, and I would never, Whoa, like... What? Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you never, yes, you never beat yourself up, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I never um, was, like, down on myself. I was like, all right, let's just get back up and keep yeah, fighting, you know? Important. No, seriously, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. people, like, they're like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm this, and, like... You just, yeah. Also, like, resilience. Yes. Why, why? How do you manifest, like, why 99% of the startups fail? Not because they had a bad idea, because they didn't have resilience. Mm. I am not going to give up on this mission. I don't care. Yeah. You know, that's it. <laughs> and also being so process oriented, you're loving the process every step of the way. Never chilling harder than you're chilling right now. And uh, that's the win. That's the W. That's yeah. Why he's winning. Any, anything yeah. else you want to say before we go? Anything, any ideas or things you want to promote or where, where can people find you online? Mm-hmm. RabbiHarry.com is like a timeline of everything I just like said about this whole story with the farm mm-hmm. and the beer and this the whole journey. Yeah. And, uh, or Rabbi Harry on Instagram. That's like where I put most of my content. Right. And I just, uh, you know, stay humble. You know, we're here on this planet to feel good and give other people love and goodness. So that's how we should just sync with, with that. Well, thank you for this right. very fresh, unique conversation that you've brought to Buckle Up. And we appreciate having you. Oh, wait, there was one more thing. Yeah. Just to end. Um, like, where is this all going? <laughs> yes. Um, this is going towards the a decentralization. And, and what I see is you're going to start to see these African-American communities. And there's a really strong example in Cleveland. It's called the Green Ghetto. Mm. They took, like, an abandoned lot, which was used for drugs and prostitution, mm. and put, like, community gardens and greenhouses and aquaponics and fish farms, farms using, like, technology. And it transformed the whole community. Now they have, like, organic food and the kids are coming and there's, like, community and it's all working together. So I, I think that the Jewish people's role here in, like, being a light to the nations is, like, we have technology in Israel. Like, you could pop up, like, a shipping container that unfolds, makes electricity, pumps water from the ground, it filters water, the fish, mm-hmm. the plants. Like, yeah, let's start to make people healthy and let's start to, like, give in a way mm-hmm. that's it's good. And so uh, just, like, this is me making a prediction, you know, a call that the future of this uh, Hebrew Israelite, you know, unity with us will 
involve a lot of health and wellness and um, sustainable living. And then we don't have like the government ruling over us and like messing with our chill anymore. Mm. So that's it. Amen to that. Amen. Thank you for being part of Buckle Up and being a guest. Wonderful conversation with Rabbi Harry. Let's go. Thanks again for being here and. Uh, and next, well, time, again? next time we're going to get into the good Fingers stuff. Fingers in, this is our, this is our signature. You guys? Absolutely. Yeah, like it's powerful, the power of three. Here we go. That's Buckle Up, episode 44. Rabbi Harry in the Buckle house. Up, Thanks again so Thanks, much. Harry. See you next Rabbi time. Harry. This All right, did it make sense, the whole thing? Yeah.